Morning. Good to be together. <clears throat> well, my name's Steph. I'm one of the um, pastors here too. And um, it's part of the Plan A prayer. I'm, we're last week and this Sunday just going to be focusing a little bit more on uh, the Gospel of Luke. We were looking last time at the parables in the Gospel of Luke. From the end of January onwards, we're going to be looking. We're going to be focusing in for. Last Sunday of January, right through to Easter, the last week in the life of Jesus. So from when he enters Jerusalem on the donkey through to his uh, crucifixion, the resurrection. We're going to be focusing on that, really zooming in again in the Gospel of Luke. So that at the end of Easter, from September to Easter, we would have a really good in-depth time in that Gospel. Got familiar with it. But I'm today just going to be focused on Jesus as the man of prayer. Um, What you'll find with the Gospels is that Each of them, though recording the same life, the life of Jesus of Nazareth, were written in quite different styles and also written with different audiences in mind. And also they emphasise certain things. So if you ever spend any time going through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you will notice differences. So when you read Matthew, you'll notice there's a lot of the time Matthew, he will refer to Old Testament scriptures and and will say, this happened to fulfil this. Now, the reason he's doing that is because his, his audience is primarily Jewish. And he's trying to demonstrate to them that this Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the promised one. And so he's constantly referring back to the Old Testament prophetic promises, saying, look, this is him. Look, this was prophesied, and it, and it happened, and such, and such like. So you'll find different things in all of the Gospels. In Luke, you'll find there's particular emphases. I would say Luke emphasizes God's heart for the poor. More than any other of the gospel writers, you'll see that in certain unique parables and quotes from Jesus that come through. But you'll also find Jesus perhaps a bit more emphasised as a man of prayer in Luke than you will um, quite so much in the other gospels. And so there's just a few uh, passages that I want us to look at about Jesus praying. And I think, I think if we're honest, sometimes we find it hard to get our head around Jesus and prayer. Because we know Jesus is fully God. Those of us who are believers, we believe Jesus is fully God and fully man. And we don't always know how those two things work together, right? It's incredibly mysterious. But that's what we believe as Christians. That is orthodox Christian belief. That he is fully divine and yet he is fully human. And sometimes when we come to Jesus praying, we kind of get the impression, well, it was probably easy for Jesus because he's fully God. You know? or, or what does it even mean to pray when you are God and all of that, there are so many questions that come up with it. But what I want us to do, rather than spending the next hour on that, I want us to um, stand on the truth that we know that Jesus is fully man. And, and this will help us to uh, understand that he is a genuine model for prayer for us. It's, it's not something that's kind of out there. that You go, oh, you know, that, I can't learn anything from that. In fact, the opposite, the, the disciples saw him praying and said, Teach us how to pray, which is then when he gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer. So they saw something, and in them, they didn't think, oh, well, there's no point. They thought, no, we want to learn from you. So it's really important that we, that we learn from Jesus. Um, but what I would say is this, is that Jesus is not just our example. If Jesus is only our example, we're in trouble. Um, if, Jesus, if, if all Jesus is is our example, then number one, the cross doesn't make any sense. And number two, get ready for a very discouraging life. Because he's perfect. 
And there's nothing worse than trying to copy someone who's perfect, right? In your own strength. It gets incredibly frustrating to the point of being annoying, to the point where you don't like that person anymore. So Jesus simply as our example doesn't work. That will, not in, that will not encourage love for Jesus, trust me. That will encourage resentment of Jesus. You'll start think, saying things like, well, how am I supposed to do this? It's ridiculous. you start talking like that. And for some people, that is their experience of the Christian life because they've only ever really had the idea that Jesus is given as an example. That doesn't mark Christianity out as any different from any other religion, if that's the case. It's just a different spiritual leader, but the dynamic's the same. Do this. It's not the Christian message. The Christian message is not do this. The Christian message is God has done it. So it makes it so radical. It's God ha- that's the message. God has done it. It is finished. It is done. God has come and has accomplished salvation. Do you want in? But you're coming into his completed work. You're coming into his finished work. So what I'm going to do, as we look at these three examples in, in Luke of Jesus praying... I don't want us to go straight to Jesus, our example. First, I'm going to look at Jesus, our saviour, in this example, and in this passage, and then Jesus, our example. If you're a bit bemused, it will make sense when we get there. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Thank you that your presence is here, Lord, and we really need you. We really, really need you. I desperately need you, because I don't want to just give a talk. I want to bring, I want to declare your word. And I can't do that in my own power in a way that will bring life. So I pray that you would help me, Lord. I just want to say I believe in you. I trust you and your empowering help. And I pray for all those that are listening, those in the room that don't actually know you, really, in a relationship. They might be intrigued or interested. They might have questions, but they don't know you. Right through to those, Lord, who are walking closely with you. Pray there'd be something for everyone. Because, Holy Spirit, we know you can do that. That you can, you can come to a room of hundreds of people and touch us on an individual level. So I pray that you would do that, please. Amen. Amen. Right, let's start. So, um, John, uh, John, not John, Luke. Luke, <laughs> Luke chapter 5. The first passage is uh, 5 verses 15 to 16. Even... But now, even more, the report about him, that's Jesus, went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. It's not only London that's busy. When you're in London, you can think it's like the center of the world and the only place. It was busy, all right? It was busy. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Before we get into Jesus, the example, Jesus, the Savior, we are those great crowds. We are the sick. We are the broken. We are the needy. That, that is one, when you become a Christian, you realize how needy you are. It's part of the process of becoming a Christian. Before that, what we tend to do is either just look on the bright side, you know, or kind of make excuses or, or you know, we tend to, we don't, we, it's uncomfortable to see your brokenness and then acknowledge it when you don't know where to go with it and what to do with it. It's uncomfortable. It's horrible. Who wants that? 
But part of the process of coming to Christ, and a necessary part of it, is that you realize your need. Which is why the last thing a church should ever be is a, is a gathering of proud people. I just, I mean, how that happens is, is bizarre. How, how, how you ever get churches that essentially just become crowds of self-righteous, proud people is, I mean, it's mind-boggling. The whole premise is we're broken. The whole premise is, is that we've got it wrong. And it, I mean, it's a mystery. It's a mystery to me how hard I still find it to apologize when the whole foundation of my life is I've got it wrong. The pride is so deeply rooted, isn't it, in us. It still has to squeeze it out, that apology, you know. You'd think we'd be used to it by now. We, we are the crowds. We, we're just waiting for a word, wait, waiting for that, waiting for that healing. And I, in this moment, you see, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And, and in our awareness of our needs, sometimes we can find ourselves thinking, where's Jesus? I just need a word, Lord. I just need a touch, Lord. But you've withdrawn. You've gone. Where are you? Shall I tell you where he is? He's praying for you. He's praying for you. He's not just withdrawn for the sake of it. The Bible says that he lives to ever intercede for us. He is before the Father as our great high priest interceding for us. He's our saviour. All of his prayers are always answered. Did you know that? All of his prayers are always fully in line with the will of the Father. And when he prays for you, his prayers are answered. You are being, if you are a saint, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer today, if you have trusted in Christ, he is interceding for you before the Father. Constantly. Constantly. So it's ever so important that we realize that when there's that sense in which, Jesus, I need you to speak, but nothing's coming through. I'm reading the Bible and it just seems like fog and clouds. And Lord, give me something to go on. And Lord, I need a touch. And where are you? And if it seems like you, you've withdrawn into the desert. Where are you? He's praying for you. That's what he's doing. He's, he's always mindful of you. Always mindful of you. We're talking to Israel in the Old Testament. He's, he's saying, how can I forget you? Your name's inscribed on the palms of my hands. He says, can a mother forget her child? And we all sort of go, well, no. And then he says, well, maybe. But even if they do, I won't forget you. More faithful than a mother. He's our saviour. Jesus, our saviour. Jesus, our example. Jesus, our example now. You're getting it. The crowds are gathering People wanting to hear from you, wanting to get stuff from, from you, wanting to... Popularity, this is popularity, this is fruitfulness, this is success. Uh, there are times where we must learn to withdraw. So now, I'm looking at it through the lens of, as followers of Christ, now we are Jesus in this example, and there are people that want you. They want your time they want your attention. They want the good stuff that God's put in you. That's wonderful. When people start to draw towards you because they want to hear what you've got to say and being around you brings a sense of healing, that's wonderful. 
that's a sign that the Lord is at work in your life. Even if it's just ones or twos, people asking questions, or even if it is great crowds, praise God. That's a sign that God is doing good things in your life and people want to find out more. But it can be addictive. It can be addictive. You can start to draw on that. You can start to need that. You can start to find your sense of validity and identity in that. I'm still wanted. People still want to hear what I've got to say. People want, people want me to come. Because I, I bring something special. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. It's interesting the way the tone, the tense in which it's written, it's talking about more than a one-off. A very uh, wise pastor gave this advice. Divert daily. Withdraw weekly. Abandon annually. And it's a challenge. Well, some of us more than others. It's a challenge for me personally. And I know many of you, and I know many of you, that would be a challenge. You buzz off the vibe. You buzz off the momentum. You buzz off the sense of what God is doing. And hallelujah, it's all good. It's not, bad, not a bad thing here. It's all good. And yet Jesus recognized the need. I need to be alone with the Father. All I, all I can really do is... I can't make that decision for any of you, but I can urge you to take it seriously. Because suddenly, you don't want to get to the point where you're suddenly in that situation and you've created a shed load of expectations that you have to live up to and you've got nothing in the tank. And we've, got, we've all got to grow and learn in these areas. It's a journey that we've got to do, but it's never such an important one if you've not built in and aren't continuing to build in. Because as seasons change and business increases, you've got to rebuild it in again. You've got to look again. You can't, the old ways don't work. But the principle remains. I'm looking to, when am I withdrawing? And drawing off of the presence of God and getting nourished of the presence of God. If you don't do that, otherwise, what, what can happen is, is that you, you can be left high and dry. You see, let me tell you, let me be honest with you. Crowds gathering to hear you will never satisfy your soul doesn't work. I've spoken to crowds who have gathered to hear me. Thousands. does nothing to satisfy your soul. It's wonderful if God uses you. Great. But it does nothing to satisfy. You can't find life there. It's not there. There are a certain number of relationships that the Lord will give you in life for your good and for the good of your soul that are very important and need to be nurtured and guarded and all of that needs to be underlaid with, in terms of your relationship with him. Because you can't rely 100% on those relationships because you know people die and people move on and all the rest of it. So there has to be that foundation of time with God, enjoying his presence, and then building proper, meaningful relationships. The crowds will never do it. It's important that you hear this stuff. Because you might not have crowds, but you might be going after crowds on social media. More and more, more and more this, more likes, more followers, more, more friends, more, more friends who I don't know, you know, more. Just chasing the wind. Just chasing the wind. Doesn't work. Make sense? All right. Next scripture, Luke 6. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. So it's obviously a key moment in Jesus' ministry, and he's, this is just before he chooses the twelve. He, um, he prays all night. Anyone ever tried that? 
It's hard. <laughs> we, we did a few of those uh, back in the day. Everyone's laughing because I fell asleep standing up. I fell asleep, actually woke up falling over. I'm not even joking. Um, I found myself praying, praying for flapjacks at three in the morning. You think, what the heck? I mean, someone, one of the guys started praying. Lord, <laughs> someone like, Lord, thank you that every move we make and every breath we take, we all start going, I'm sure that's a famous pop song. And it gets really surreal. It's not easy. Um, it's not easy. Oh, the first, first night of prayer I ever went to, right, this is really funny. First night of prayer I ever went to, heard about this guy called um, Timothy Akin Louie, who's a wonderful um, pastor of a New Frontiers church in a place called St. Paul's Cray. And he'd do these half nights of prayer on a Friday. And my mate had got connected with him. And he said, oh, I went along, it's amazing. You've got to come. I said, oh, come, great. So I came along. And it started about 10 and ended about 2 or 3. Well, I lasted till about quarter to 11. It was a particularly bad, bad performance on my part. About 45 minutes in, I just I, I sort of crashed out on the sofa. And then I remember I'd sit up, pray for about five seconds, and then crash out again. And I went like that till about 2 a.m. And then it ended, and I went home sort of head hung low, you know. And then I bumped into him at a Christian meeting about six months later, and I was like shamefaced. You know, I said, Tim, I don't know what happened. He said, it's fine. He said, that's called holy snoozing. <laughs> like, oh, there's the grace of God for you right there. And he just said, yeah, he said, God knows your heart. You went to pray. So, so here we've got, we got a great... Now, what's, let's look at Jesus, our Savior here. Because the theme of election that God chooses people is a, is a hard one to get our heads around. And I'm not going to spend the next half an hour on it. Happy to talk it through over coffee if you want to drill into that. Or maybe we could make some videos at some point to drill into. I'm not going to go there now, but it is, it is obviously, it raises numbers of questions theologically. And yet, the reality is this. Jesus said um, to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And the bottom line is, although all of us who know and love Jesus came a point where we, where we put our trust in him, where we said, yes, I want to follow Jesus, the Bible is clear that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws them. Now again, I, I, I can't unpack all of the ins and outs of that. The secret things belong to God, okay? but the things revealed belong to us and it's revealed. And so there's something that happens whereby God draws us to Christ. And um, in, what I love about this is this idea that Jesus is with the Father praying and then he comes down and he says, yeah, we're gonna, you're, yes, you. And he's confident and he, he knows what he's doing and he, he, there's no sense of dithering and, you know, or oh, maybe we'll go for full teams and don't upset your feelings. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I know, I know what the deal is, you know. And what, I just want to draw your attention to the fact that the Bible teaches that we mysteriously, who are in Christ, have been recipients of the grace of God from times eternal. There came a moment where we turned from our sins and put our trust in Him and were born again, but something was settled in eternity. The Bible says that, that we receive grace from times eternal in, the, in one of the letters to Timothy. It's extraordinary. We bring Nothing but our sin to this salvation. He has done it. And it leads, it, it, when you get it, it leads to the most joyful, secure Christian life that you, that you could want. 
when, when you really get it and then you get it again, you've got to keep getting it. But you know what? Because when I have those moments where I disappoint myself and I think, I can't believe I just said that, did that, didn't say that, didn't do that. And I'm at that point where I just want to, you know when you just want to give up on yourself? You know that feeling? You think, I, I, I'm literally, I'm at, I'm at my wit's end with myself. At that moment I go, and Lord, you, you know me inside out and you called me. That's immense. That is absolutely immense. Because we often disappoint ourselves, don't we? And it's not, it's not that God rejoices when we do bad things. I'm not saying that for a moment, but he knows. He's not under any illusions about us. He's our father. It's like when you, you, know, when you have children, sometimes they say things and you think, no, nah, no, nah, it's not sober. <laughs> it's just not sober. You know, um, uh, you think you just you don't know yourself yet well enough, and you're not you know you know you just think oh. and then and then life goes on and and that doesn't quite work out, and they could be holding their head in their hands, but you're going, oh yeah we knew that anyway. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, we knew that anyway, and that's the love of the Father, that He knows us inside out. Um, so Jesus our Savior, Jesus our example. Sometimes. In life, it's important to put aside really significant time to pray. It's not a hard point to gather. How did you find that in that scripture? It's just that's what it is. Big decision. Big decision. I'm going to pray all night. That's legit. That's not extreme. That's not over the top. That's you get those moments. Or I'm going to stay up and pray, pray, pray as long as I can. You know, you sort of wake up in some semi-prayer stroke sleeping position. You know, sleep lying down the sofa with your hand in the air or something. You know, you think, I don't know how I got here. But you think, no, Lord, I'm going to, Lord, this is serious. And I want to know when I make this decision that I've committed it to you in a non-rushed way. Does that make sense? It's important. It's really important. Because if you go into something big, a life-changing decision, and you haven't, there's other things other than praying. There's seeking counsel and there's being in the scriptures. But today's about prayer. So we'll talk about prayer. If you go into big decisions and you, know, you haven't really prayed, because there's praying and there's praying, right? And, 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 and the first sort of praying, it's not wrong, you know, firing up arrows, arrow prayers to God. and just That's not wrong. That's, that's a part of prayer. But then when there's big things where you think, if this goes pear-shaped, there's big implications. Do you know what I mean? Or if this, if this proves to be really hard, I need to know I really brought it before God. Does that make sense? Otherwise, what happens is, is that it, things get really hard or they appear to go pear-shaped or don't go according to plan. And what happens is, is that you start to unravel inside. Why? Because you know in your conscience that you went in complacently spiritually. You don't want to be in that. You don't, you don't want to be that person. You want to be the person who goes, wow, I didn't see this coming. But you know what? I prayed about it. I really seriously brought this before God. Because then you can say, Lord, I, I committed this to you. It just strengthens your conscience. It's not about, it's not about affecting the faithfulness of God or not. But if you're, if you're, if you're taking shortcuts spiritually all the time, then when, when, you know, when the hard moments come, you... You can be in a vulnerable place, which you don't need to be in. 
So I'm not saying, you know, every, in these moments you need to sort of, you need to sort of pray and then kind of have X, Y, and Z, heard the audible voice of God. I'm not saying, but I'm saying you do need to know you've prayed. <laughs> and you've committed it to God and you've not operated out of a place where there's no peace or no spiritual investment. Does that make sense? It's just really, really important um, that, we, that we hear that and that we, and that we, um, that we take, that, take that to heart. And then um, and the final one, um, should I do this one? Hold on a second. <clears throat> We just have a pray, is that all right? Just not sure whether, whether this one's going to actually add anything at this moment. <clears throat> yeah, Lord, just thank you so much for, uh, for the way that you equip us and speak to us. Thank you for the living sharpness of your word, Lord, so good. I just pray for your leading now, Holy Spirit. You just, one way or the other, show me whether it's, this is, this is going to be a good use of time or whether there's something else. Amen. Really peaceful. Let's do it. Luke 9. Uh, now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. So you know this story. If you've been around church for a year or more, you'll know this story. So they go up to the mountain, he starts praying, and suddenly, whereby his sort of deity is normally veiled, the glory of his deity is normally veiled. It's like the veil is removed. And it's like, wow, oh, you know, his glory is seen. Moses and Elijah turn up, right? Jesus starts having a conversation with Moses and Elijah about what he's about to do in Jerusalem in terms of his, his, um, his crucifixion and, and resurrection. They're, resurrection. They're talking about that. Peter, said, Peter they, had, oh, this is encouraging. they had actually been asleep. So they're praying, which is great, isn't it? This is, yes, yes, they were asleep. Um, I don't know if it's in Luke or the others, but it says that, no, no, yeah. Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. So you're praying with Jesus, right? And you get bored, all right? You think, I have a little, you know, or you drop off, you have, have a little snooze. Jesus is he's always praying for a real long time. You fall asleep. You wake up and, and the curtain's been pulled back on heaven and the carpenter, it's like, oh, yeah, and you think, and they would have, they probably would have known Elijah because, in terms of Elijah's appearance and what he wore, it was quite sort of well known in the scriptures and stuff, you know. And you're like, oh my, you know. So Peter wants to capture the moment, you know. He's like, let's build some tents and stay here, you know. Um, and then, and then, and then the father gets involved. A cloud, this kind of glory cloud comes, and they're all enveloped. I mean, this is like what the heck when he said come with me and I'll make you fishers of men I didn't we didn't realize it's going to be this stuff I mean this is amazing and they're in it right and 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 here's the beauty here's here's the beauty of it so they're up there and they're in the cloud and a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my son listen this is my son my chosen one Listen to him. It's quite simple, isn't it? It's quite. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Jesus, Jesus our saviour. Jesus our saviour. Um. (laughs) 
in all of the glory that's going on, in all of the amazing things, you've got Shekinah clouds, you've got Moses, you've got Elijah, you've got Jesus in his clothes, dazzling, dazzling white. Okay? It's like, wow, what's, what's the message? in it? What, where's all this going? What is the climax of this experience? The climax of this experience is this. Jesus is the Son of God. Do what he says. Jesus is the Son of God. Do what he says. Because we're charismatic Christians in this church, which means we believe that every gift of the Holy Spirit is for today. It means that we absolutely love the Scriptures and we love everything the Scripture teaches and the Scripture teaches that the the Father wants to pour out his Spirit in these days on all flesh, that he wants us prophesying, he wants visions and dreams, he wants healings, he wants to see people set free. We are up for that, amen? We want that, and we love experiences. And if you know, if if the Shekinah cloud came, and if the, we're up for that, we're not the kind of church that's going to be going. Oh no, we're like, I'm really scared, but oh yes, okay. But here's the point: that's not the climax. It's, it's not about. It's not about. Oh, I had a. You know, I, I met with God and I felt fuzzy. Great. That's not the climax. What was God saying? I can guarantee you, in that moment, God was saying something about Jesus. I can guarantee you the, the, the purpose of the role of the Spirit's ministry in this age is to lead us to Christ. And to say, look, the Father loves to glorify and exalt the Son and make much of the Son. The Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son to lead us to that place where we see truly who the Son is. This is the purpose of God. This is in, in this age, the Bible says when Jesus comes again, he will take this kingdom that has, been, that has been entrusted to him and he will hand it back to the Father. But in this age now, the Son has been established as King and, it, and the Father wants us all to make much of Jesus. So Jesus is the point. Jesus is the end game. Jesus is the point of it all. And so in all of our desire for seeing breakthrough and healing and this, that and the other, it is for the glory of Jesus Christ. And if you have amazing encounters with God but never end up listening to Jesus and obeying him, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. Trusting obedience to Christ is irreplaceable. It's glorious. It, it, it undoes that untrusting unbelief that took place in the Garden of Eden and has taken our race into the carnage and chaos that we're now in. Trusting obedience, it, that is the restoration of God's purposes in humanity. Jesus is our saviour. Jesus, our example. Jesus said to some guys, let's go and pray together. Let's, let's take people praying with us. Make sure you're praying, you're running partners. If all you can do is talk, because of the setting where you are, find a new setting. You've got to pray. We've got to, we've got, it's good to talk, but then we've got to take this stuff to God together. Running partners, gospel communities, friends, let's pray together. Let's be quick to say, should we just pray? Let's make that part of the culture. Even, even, if, even if sometimes it, you come away and you think, well, that was a bit boring. Could have fallen asleep there. Same here. You see, we, we, we go so unreal when it comes to the Bible, don't we? Oh, we should have prayer meetings like in the Bible times. People fell asleep in them. All right? It happens sometimes. It's fine. I say, well, if, if the Apostle Paul was preaching here, no one would fall asleep. Yes, they would. And they would fall out of third-story windows. 
okay? Because that's what happened, okay? So just get real. Sometimes it's boring. It's all right. If it's always boring, there's a problem, okay? But sometimes you think, oh, I fall asleep. Still go. Still go. It's doing you good. Holy snoozing. It's doing you good. It's all right. We've got to grow up, haven't we? If we're just in it for the exciting moment here and the little flash there, we're kids. We're like little kids, constantly needing to have a little novelty, have a little dangly toy to keep our attention. It's childish. So I just want to encourage us uh, to to engage with the reality of the fact that, yes, we have a treasure in Yes, it's a treasure in us, but we're jars of clay. And that means that sometimes we don't feel on top of our game, and that's all right. In fact, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Sometimes you're in season, sometimes you're not. It's not because you're in sin, it's not because you're just not in season. You say, but I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep praying, I keep witnessing. It might not be as impressive or as inspiring, but I'll hang in there. You know, some, some, some seasons you watch me pray. I, some seasons I would want you to watch me pray. My flesh, my prideful flesh would love you to see me pray. Other seasons I am so grateful that no one in the world can see me pray right now because it's little more than a sigh. In season and out of season. Treasure, jar of clay. We can grow up into this, we can embrace this, and we can grow in prayer as a result. Amen? Amen. Amen.